Hello and welcome to episode four of Responsible Adult. This week I talked to Patrick, who I've known for quite a few years now. This talk starts with Patrick's childhood and a kind of tragic event that happened to him, but a very full and exciting life that he grew into. So yeah, we talk about bereavement at a young age, university antics, living in an exciting different country, and eventually the responsibilities of fatherhood. I really, really hope you enjoy it. Patrick is such a wise and friendly person, and I'm sure you'll love hearing about him becoming a responsible adult. So, hello, I'm here with Patrick, who is... I have not known him for a lot of my life, but he's been a responsible adult in my life since I met his daughter, Lena in secondary school we were about 12 or 13 so I've known Patrick since I was still calling myself a child all the way through to now when I'm hopefully starting to call myself an adult so thanks for joining me Patrick it's a pleasure so best to start right at the beginning well not right at the beginning but do you want to just tell me a bit about where you grew up yeah um well I grew up in London um born in London Whereabouts and in, in West London, Ealing, um, with two older brothers who are quite a lot older than me. Um, one's seven years older and one's ten years older. So I didn't really, in a sense, grow up with them enormously. I mean, they were around, but I don't really remember doing that much with them because they were considerably older than me. Um, and uh, my dad moved away from home when I was about six or seven he moved up to Manchester to Mm -hmm. fulfill his dream job because he'd been working doing fairly dull work for the library association for a long time but he was a frustrated academic I think and he was a he'd done a lot of work uh, writing about art and architecture in his spare time and he finally got a job um, in Manchester where he was allowed to teach Um, and that was pretty much his dream job so he moved up to Manchester I don't I've never really talked to my parents about how it worked. Um, I think he wanted us to move up to Manchester. My mum didn't want to leave London. Um, all her friends were there and she was very, very involved in amateur theatre, a big amateur theatre company called the Questers. Um, but I think it kind of started a rather dark point in my life because my mum was very ill. Um, I, I mean, obviously I was only six or seven, so I didn't know how ill she was. Mm-hmm. Um, it later transpired she had cancer. Um, so I sort of commenced a rather dark period um, in the sense that one brother was at university the other was in the sixth form already and I was still well, I was just finishing primary school starting secondary school mm. my dad's visits home became less and less as he got more um, more comfortable in Manchester he originally I think the idea was that he'd come back every weekend and it he did, I think it was probably like that for about a year um, but it got it got more and more infrequent. I later found the reasons why, mm. um, which weren't good for their marriage. And yeah, I, it's hard to describe what I felt about that period. It, it just seemed very mm. dark to me. Yeah, um, so it didn't necessarily feel like. Because I guess six or seven is really uh, some later ages. If something like that happens to you, you might feel a certain sense of kind of forced growing up but you don't feel yeah, like Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was aware 
by the age of sort of nine or ten, I was living in a very different way to other people. Mm. Um, I mean, I was living effectively with my mum, but she was she was ill. She was also doing this amateur theatre thing, which took a lot of her time. And I spent a lot of time at home in a large house on my own. Um, And so the the whole sort of image I have of that of that period is darkness, Mm. really. also it's very tragic and I, I, I suppose in some ways it probably was um, and when I when I started secondary school um, it kind of got worse because the I've been all right at primary school because I was always good at primary school and I was the mm. captain of the football team and I was one of the ones who passed the 11 plus and so on and so forth got to secondary school and it was much tougher and I was became I, I didn't become feral I became um, very self-reliant um, I had to wash my own clothes and, you know, make myself food and stuff. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. So that's from, um, like, the age of 11? That's from the age of 11, wow. yeah. Um, and not surprisingly, my schoolwork suddenly went yeah. downhill very, very fast. Um, and and that was out of your control? Or did you feel like it was... I don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think I really analysed it at that age. It's just... I lost interest in schoolwork. I didn't feel sorry for myself. Um, I mean, I, pro- I probably could have done, but I, I don't remember f- feeling like that. I think that's that's how my life was. And mm. you just, uh, as a child, I think you just accept it. You know, there are a lot of children in a lot worse situations, and often they'll shrug their shoulders and say, "Well, that's that's how my life is." Yeah. You know, um, and I think I did the same. Um, so if this if the schoolwork slipped away, did you did you have any career ambitions or you know just future plans or dreams or anything like that? None whatsoever. Um, I loved sport. Um, I was I was quite good at football, but not to the level that I was ever going to be a professional footballer. Um, and I I loved playing. I mean, sport was a real was a real release for me because that's mm. something I was still good at yeah. um, and would still work at. Um, had no thoughts of the future at all, absolutely none whatsoever. Um, I don't really, to be honest, I don't even know what I was thinking about. I mean, probably I was just putting one foot in front of another and I I wouldn't have described it as that at the time. I mean, obviously you, like anybody else, you reflect on your childhood when you you get older and, and you talk to other people about, I mean, I've talked to my my partner a lot about it. Her childhood was very different with mm. four sisters and a close, close-knit family. And she thinks my childhood sounds awful, and, and in many ways it was. And I think in a little way I blame my parents, less my mum because she was ill. Mm. Um, but I don't think, I think despite being ill, she could have been a bit more attentive. Mm. Um, and my dad, just basically, he was in Manchester and he left us to it. And he must have known what was going on. Um, and known that I wasn't being properly looked after, but they, you know, they left me to it. Oh, I don't, do I do I have any grudges against them? No, probably not. Mm. I think I've something I've heard a lot. I can't even remember if this was from someone that I know or whether I heard it on the radio or something. But someone talking about you know parenting in like the seventies, eighties, being very um, not hands off, but as a child in those times, you you kind of just slotted in yeah. to whatever was going on. There wasn't much child centric kind yeah. of welfare considerations and that didn't ever mean that the parents didn't love you it was just no, the way that no, things no. were done I know that my mum definitely that resonates with her a lot she yeah. felt like kind of 
No, I, I, I went. I can obviously I, the only relationship I know intimately is my own. Yeah. But I mean, I certainly I get that feeling from from people around me that they, that that was generally more like that. Although my best friend um, Nick, who I um, who I now see again, um, his family he had four, he had three three siblings and his mum and dad. And I spent a lot of time at their house. It was a mm. great house because they um, his dad ran the the public baths, not swimming pool, the washing bath <laughs> when they still had those. Amazing. Um, and they had a lovely close family, and it was just it was his his house to me. I talk about darkness. His house was always light mm. and warm and chatty, and and it was everything that my house wasn't. Um, so they, have... yeah, so there were close fa close families around. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know that I necessarily felt envious of it. Um, I did have a kind of watershed moment when I, I'm jumping ahead when I was 18, but I'll, I'll come to that afterwards. But, um, but this all kind of changed when I was about, um, well, getting to the end of year, what is now year eight, um, when the decision was made that we would move to Manchester to join my dad. Oh, wow, okay. Um, in retrospect, I know exactly why we did it, because my mum was dying at yeah. this point. You know, the, the cancer treatment obviously then was... Fairly, fairly rudimentary. I, mm. I don't think she. I don't know whether she'd had chemotherapy or whatever, but um, they didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about her. I was aware she was ill, but they didn't sort of say, you know, the word cancer was not used. Um, but we moved. Yeah, at the end of year eight, and she died within six months of us moving. And I think they must have known that, you know, she wasn't going to last that much longer. So make the move now, rather than when it's too late yeah. um, and she died the following Christmas um, we moved to Easter of year 8 and she died the Christmas of year 9 so of course that was a you That's know really uh, that was a fairly big thing um, although again in retrospect not as big a thing as it would have been for a lot of other people I don't know whether that says something about my emotional or ability to attach to other people I'm not, I'm not really sure or maybe the fact she was quite a hands-off mother in many ways so therefore I didn't miss her in the way some people would miss their mother mm. um, but it's a huge huge life event in any, in any yeah context. yeah and it and it's of course it's always been with me I'm, I'm talking about it now my mum died when I was 13 mm. you know um, it's been it's made me probably reflect on it with my own children in the sense that I know that a parent can die when you're still at school because it happened to me yeah. so I've always <laughs> I've got to last at least till I've got got them both to university I've got that <laughs> far you know my parents couldn't manage that quite for me not their own fault but you know yeah so I'm pleased that I've done that for them um, not that I'm planning to pop off anytime very soon now <laughs> they're at university all um yeah but Reflecting on that, the, I've heard other people say this, so it's not me just being weird. The biggest, the biggest effect it had on me was shame. I was ashamed of having only one parent. Wow. That sounds absolutely bizarre. I would lie about it wow. um, at school. I would say my mum's left, gone away. So, so it wasn't even the fact that your mum just wasn't there. It's the fact that she'd actually died that you were ashamed of. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. It was oh, it, yeah. It was the it was the fact she died. I think that I was ashamed of in some way. Oh. Absolutely no idea why. Yeah, no. Um, but I'm. I have heard other people talk about that, and I'm sure you could go onto endless web chats now where people are mulling over how how they dealt with yeah. childhood bereavement, and you'd find plenty of people say the same. For sure. Um, totally unexplainable. Yeah. I imagine just like. Yeah, and I know. Well, I think. I think one of the big reasons was my dad wouldn't talk about it. I never talked to my dad about it. You know, once my mum died, she was gone. Didn't discuss her. I didn't go to the funeral wow. at my dad's um, instigation. I don't know why. Did he go? Yeah, he went. Uh, my brothers went. He didn't want me to go. Uh, I have no idea why. Just maybe too young? Or? Yeah, but I was 13. I, th I think, 13, enough, I think 13 is old enough. And, you know, I think that's... I mean, it's not a word to use then, closure, but, but it mm. is, a, I think you do need it. And, and if I'd been there, and if he talked to me about her and talked to me about how are you, but he was so hands-off. He mm. never said to me, how are you feeling? How are you getting on? It was just like, you know, he was, he was a crap, crap dad um, mm. in many ways. I mean, he was a, he was a wonderful bloke. Um, very bright, very great with his students and very yeah, sociable and um, life and soul of the party. Crap dad, though. He, he just couldn't do the personal personal stuff. And so I spent, you know, the next four or five years living at home with him and um, his second wife, who appeared on the scene very soon after my mum died. Mm. Um, she was That's much tough. younger than him, very vivacious, um, attractive woman about 20 years younger or 15 years younger than him with two of her own children and I just sort of took that on board she was actually really good fun she was a really nice woman um, yeah she unfortunately went mad but that's another story yeah um, um what about I, your brothers well Nick the oldest one he was in London already he'd already got married when he was living in London so mm -hmm. I hardly saw him Martin, the middle one, used to come come back for Christmas and things like that. And yeah, I've always got on all right with him. He's quite different to me, but he's he's a nice guy. Um, but I didn't talk to them about it either. It just wasn't a conversation we had. So you know, your mum dies, and then there's four people left in the family, and they can't talk about. You know, it's a terrible, in retrospect, it's a terrible condemnation. It's like her life had just had no relevance. Yeah. I, of course it had a relevance, but yeah, we never talked about her. We have done a little bit since, up to the day he died, my dad didn't like talking about her. He really mm. didn't. I think maybe there's a certain amount of guilt in there, and and, um, and I didn't want to push him. You know. yeah. There was no point, there was nothing to be gained from it. I, I wasn't going to get any kind of um, warmth or you know, good feeling about it, so mm. left him to it. It's so interesting that, you know, as a society, we really ceremonially like we the reason we have funerals and we kind of have this very superficial mourning process well you know mm. in, in that instance it seems superficial because yeah. really what closure can you get if well one if you're you can't even go to the funeral anyway yeah. but also if as soon as the funeral's done there's not actually any emotional healing going no. on it really it shines a light on well i guess on i get quite complacent these days on which quite rightly should be a kind of onslaught of uh, mental health campaigning. Mm -hmm. And it does make me realise that actually there's still millions and millions of people walking around who really have never, ever spoken about anything mm. with their family, with their friends. Like, it's just 
not been habit for them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's terrible. You you should be talking about the parent that died. Mm. It's important important for the children. Important also for the bereaved partner. Um, you should be remembering their birthday. You should be, you know, that person should stay there. There should yeah. be pictures of them. You know, you don't just lock them away in a bottom drawer and say, you know, they died. So get rid of all effects and pretend they never existed. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's the way our family at my dad's behest, I suppose, um, dealt with it. Um, and it, again, it seemed fairly normal to me. That's that's what we were doing. Um, and that's, to me, how you dealt with a parent dying, because yeah. that was my only experience of it. And, and yeah, so, never really occurred to me not going to the funeral was a weird thing. Mm. But also, I mean, going back to what you said about... Um, about a it being a different age there was no support at school yeah. um i think my, my really dad tough. did tell the school or he told the form he went to see my form teacher and said by the way his mum's died no teacher ever um, approached me wow. mentioned it to me i don't think the kids in my class were um, told well no i know they weren't because they didn't know hence i was lying about it um there was never any support remotely offered to me mm. um, and that's bad that's, that's bad yeah. I mean the, the the our society is a lot better um, nowadays yeah. for, that's like for things systemically like that. bad isn't it yeah it's dreadful and it was quite normal it wasn't just I was at some really bad school or something I was at a perfectly decent comprehensive in uh, just outside Mountain Stockwell mm. um, it's just not the way they did things mm. you know so your mum had died and you were now in Manchester. Did you feel particularly at home in Manchester or did you also feel quite like physically displaced there? Mm, that's, that's a good one. Um, no, I, I settled in reasonably quickly. Um, I think I saved it. I mean, it, it, again, it's stupid. Um, I settled in quite quickly to the school I went to. I, I was definitely an outsider because I didn't speak with a Manchester accent. I was mm. known as Cockney. <laughs> and I didn't have a Cockney accent, but, but I had a London accent. Anything or, south. Yeah, any, yeah, anything south of Watford and your Cockney. Um, <laughs> so that made me an outsider and, and, and a bit scary as well. But I was good at football and I got straight into the school football team. Highest currency. Um, and I was safe from bullies because I was in the football team. Um, I got accepted by some of the cool kids because I was in the football team. Mm. Um, football was a real saviour for yeah. me. I, mean, I, think I, wasn't, I wasn't that great, but I was good enough to be in the team and, you know, one of the better better mm. players. Yeah, probably still is. Having something, if I'd been brilliant academically, <laughs> that wouldn't have been the same. Mm. I wouldn't have been accepted for being, a, you know, Cockney SWAT, is yeah. all I would have been, and given a good kicking yeah. on the way home. It's such a shame. I think that's, it's maybe it's better, I think, these days. Like, there is a certain stock in doing well at school or yeah. people are trying to increase that but definitely it's still you make a bit of a choice yeah yeah you, the, the level to which you sacrifice your academic work usually yeah. correlates with how popular you end up being yeah yeah um which is really it's just crap it, it's it, crap absolutely crap. but then it's when you're that crap. age you don't care you're not thinking no, about no no the mo all i wanted to do was fit in yeah and and make some friends and yeah i did make some friends i made bad friends that's one thing I did do, um, mm. I made bad, bad friends. Influences. Yeah, really bad influences. I, I jumped at any chance of friendship. 
quite naturally. Yeah, of course. One, one or two were all right, but a couple of real, real bad eggs. Um, um, could could have gone off the rails, but didn't. Um, just about. I mean, I messed up all my O level or GCSEs. Um, messed them up. I passed them just about, but I mean, seven or eight bad GCSEs. Mm. Um, but again, you know, from a broken home and all this sort of trauma and so on and so forth, pretty understandable. Yeah. I think my um, dad has one GCSE in yeah. French. All <laughs> yeah. of his qualifications yeah, yeah. are in French because yeah. he's from a French family, so he just yes, didn't have to exactly. do that work, yeah, yeah. and all the rest he just failed. <laughs> so Never. he had a yeah. I went, but I came from an acad academic background, yeah, of so uh, you know, I, yeah, I I did I did I did well enough that I could stay on at mm. school and, and do A levels. Okay, um, and then that's when I had my sort of first epiphany. I think I, just, I got sick of my dad telling me how badly I was doing at school. Mm, when that was going to be my, my next question was, did you feel pressure from him to do better? Um, yeah, and that made me angry. And somewhere, somewhere, well, I know exactly where it started. I got so sick of him banging on about how bad I was and how I never did any work. The Christmas of the first year of A-levels, mm -hmm. so year. I thought I'll show him and I started working 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 <laughs> kind of work you know <laughs> you know go to school come back and literally sit down and do five hours work then go to bed and then go and do the same the next day wow and and I worked like a and within two months I turned it round and it was it was anger at him mm. that was pushing me I'll show him I'll show him that I can do this. I'll show him I can be as good as him. Mm. He went to Cambridge. I'll show him that I could go there as well if I wanted to. And um, within a year, I was suddenly, you know, from struggling with my A-levels, I was sort of being asked to apply to Oxbridge and getting three A's. And I just, I mean, I, you know, I had the brains to do it, but but it was the hard work. That so, was the real. But it obviously, it obviously did anger. come naturally to you, though, as well as it being from the anger. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. Yeah, I mean, I could do it, and uh, and of course, like most things, I found out that I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I found out that I did like English literature. I did like history, and once I started really understanding how to work and how to research uh, an essay on the Duke of Wellington, I found I was actually quite fascinated by it. And I found I liked going into Manchester, Manchester's big library with the dome and the, mm. all these wonderful chairs. Yeah. And I just loved it. You know, this is great. Yeah. Um. It's the, the anger started it, but I did enjoy it and kept it going for about 14, 16 months and then um, got an unconditional offer from East Anglia, you know, Norwich East Anglia University. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, I can stop working now. I'll, <laughs> I'll, ju I'll just read loads of books. I thought, I'll, I'll just read because I was going to do literature. I just thought, I'll read the entire way mm. to Joseph Conrad and, uh, before I go to university. You fell for to, it. <laughs> and and did quite, actually did quite badly in my A-levels, as it turned out, because I didn't do any revision. I mean, I knew I could get two, I had to get two E's, which is the lowest part yeah. of it. And uh, I thought, well, you know, that's where I want to go anyway. Um, do you regret that? A little bit, but not really. Only on a pride level, maybe. Yeah, on a pride level. I mean, I could have, but but it's actually quite funny now because both my children laugh at me and say, "God, you've got rubbish A levels," <laughs> and I say, "Well, not only rubbish A levels, rubbish degree as well." Actually, did you feel was there much vocal 
um, appreciation from your dad when you did start doing well? Nah, not really. Mm, that's um, tough. He, he would then start having a go about working too hard. And I think I probably said, fuck's sake, mm, you know, I can never get it right, right, can I? No, I got, I got crossed with him. I was asked to apply, I was asked by the school to do the Oxbridge mm. um, entry exams. And, uh, you know, I was very flattered, obviously. Um, he said he didn't think I should. And he, this is a man who'd been to Cambridge to do English. Mm. <laughs> and I just, I don't know what I made of that, really. It seems competitive in a weird way. Yeah. Do you think it was that? Yeah, I, th I think there was a bit, well, I mean, if, I, if what drove me to work really hard was anger with him and competition, I'll show you. Mm. Well, getting to Cambridge, which is where he went, was this is me showing you I can That's do this. Finishing, I'm yeah. just as good as you, kind of thing. But he put he put me off. He didn't put me. Well, he did. He said I shouldn't do it. He said he didn't think that I would enjoy Oxford or Cambridge. Um, and I took his advice actually. Funnily enough, I'm I'm amazed that that wasn't the sort of thing that tipped me over the edge and made me right. I'm definitely yeah. doing those entrance <laughs> exams. I don't know why I didn't do that, but in retrospect, he was absolutely right. I'd have, I'd have bombed at Cambridge. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got through it. Well, you certainly wouldn't have had a good time drinking smoking. No, I wouldn't. Have, well, certainly not that. <laughs> Take I, it from I, me. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't have got through the three years. I'm absolutely convinced I would never have got through the three years. Um, I've, his advice was right. Actually, <laughs> you know, I have to admit it. He did. He, I think he got it right. But mm -hmm. at the time, I remember thinking. Yeah, he's just saying that because he didn't want me to go there because he went there. <laughs> so um, when you so when you did start UEA, was that consciously a kind of move away from yeah. home, you know, physically, yeah. mentally? Yeah. Was that I, quite if, a nice if, refresh for you? If I could have managed it, I'd have never gone back. Um, I was, you know, I remember the day I went there, I thought, ta-ra! <laughs> you know, I'm, you I'm gone. And... and I went back the first Christmas for um, 10 days or something. I did go back in the first summer because I had to live somewhere. Yeah. And I got, I got a they job in, got, yeah, I got a job in Manchester and, and so on. But as each, as each year went on, my, my kind of visits home got shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm. And so I think, well, actually I'd rather work in Norwich than Manchester and, and, um, and probably my, you know, I'd turn up back in Manchester and, and probably behave like a, like a like a pig really just sort of slump around and go off and play cricket and go to the pub with my friends and 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 raid the fridge well I don't know if I certainly felt a bit of a I didn't feel particularly grown up at uni but I definitely felt like I kind of regressed when I came back home for the holidays mm. and mine did get shorter and shorter as well and that kind of felt like a bit of a a kind of growing up that was almost out of my control because it wasn't like I didn't want to come back Mm. for the same periods of time it's just kind of life was mm. getting in the way in various ways mm. but I definitely feel like I come back home and I kind of I slouch on the sofa yeah. and I watch the same tv shows that I was watching at a level and mm. definitely like regress is that why you've made a very conscious decision that you are going to live anywhere but at home once you finish university I mean I think so I think it was the knowledge that I can just so easily do nothing here mm. and that that's not what I associate myself with no. like 
I need periods of time where I stop and I just do nothing. Mm. And I'm sure that Lena also feels like that when she comes home, even though she does work super, super hard when she comes home too. Yeah. Um, Lena being your daughter, yes. listeners at yeah, home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did you what did you get up to at uni in those years? What was your average day like? Or your non-average day? Very, 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 because each each of the three years were were very different. First year, were, first and last years were in halls of residence. Mm -hmm. The middle year was in a shared house in the middle of the countryside, which fun. Um, yeah. Not a lot of work getting done there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those things. It was great fun. Um, I think the fir first year probably like. For a lot of people, it's just sort of settling in, and yeah. being away from home, and just enjoying the freedom of it, and so on. And I, mm. I, yeah, I did a certain amount of work, but not an enormous amount. And but I met a lot of people. And and second year, six or well, it started with I think five of us, ended with eight of us in a in a house with four bedroom in the middle of the countryside with sort of no heating, and 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 it was such a hoot. I mean, mm. we had we just had the best time. But I mean, it was almost impossible to work there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I, as there should be in any house like that, there were endless stories about we, you know, when we managed to set fire to the house and things like that. And the fire brigade would come round. Wasn't warmed up a bit at least. It did. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, that that was the problem. The house was so cold that we built a roaring fire in, yeah. the, in the grate, and they hadn't put the um, they hadn't put a proper concrete lintel underneath it, so the heat of the fire had um, ignited the um, the uh, joists oh, of the cellar, which then smouldered for three days oh, goodness <laughs> me. until the thing went up and we got the fire brigade round. You know, that kind of thing. Did you get a fat, um, a fat bill at the end of that? Or? No, their fault, because the fire brigade said, well, this okay, hasn't been built wasn't in properly. Built properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It was very exciting. But, I mean, we just, we just had a great time. I mean, that, that's somewhere where I, I can remember sitting there thinking, I'm really happy. <laughs> that's nice. Did the academic bug bite you or were you, because obviously going up to third year finals, most people feel to varying degrees, a creeping sense of, I've got to do something after this. So were you thinking of academia or? No, 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 definitely not. Um, I'd, I think I'd buried my head in the sand to what came afterwards. Mm. Um, I had no idea. And I remember the day, you know, it's still one of those watershed days planted in my mind I, I don't know how I didn't ignore the inevitable or the inevitability of it comes to an end and I went to get my degree mark and was I thought I thought I was going to get a 2-1 I got a 2-2 um, so I was quite disappointed by that but the main thing was Christ it's finished mm. nobody's going to tell me to do anything now I've got to do it all myself you know, I'm not going to be sent any letter saying you have to go to this lecture or here's your grant or here's some money from, you know. I've got to do it all myself now. I'm, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, how could I not have thought of that before? Mm. But I literally didn't. And I think a lot of my friends didn't. Probably we were all sort of, you know, a group of ostriches. <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, definitely not not um, not uncommon. No, and I, I, you know, I remember when you finished, I remember thinking, this will, you know, it hits you. Yeah, because you're so you're so involved in the finals and the, you know and and um, I mean obviously not everybody. Some people are studying with a particular a job in mind, but even them they've they've got to go and get the job. Yeah, I I at one point I was really jealous of like you know people doing medicine and mm. vet medicine and all of those things because they kind of had a plan 
yeah. there was a point where honestly I would have just given anything for someone to just choose for me which isn't fun but it's really scary mm. trying to make those choices I, really know, scary because you don't know whether you're making the choices short term or long term mm -hmm. or do you, do you try and forge a career right from the get-go or do you think Ooh, I'll go off traveling but you haven't got any money do you try and ponce off your parents mm. you know to to delay and, and also that feels a little bit like delaying the inevitable you know you've got to face up to it at some point you are going to have to support yourself yeah um, so what did you pick <laughs> it took me quite a time to try and figure it out um, I didn't do any I stayed in Norwich mm -hmm. so there's no question of going back to Manchester times were different I was able to sign on the dole okay. so um, and the signing on the dole meant that they paid your rent and some money on top so you could just about live on it um, I tried to do some writing um, I tried to dramatize a novel do you remember which novel yeah um, the confessions of, of a justified sinner it's a very strange sort of um, early Victorian novel about being possessed. Um, Sounds so like it needs to be dramatised. It's a, it's a fascinating I book. I await it. You should book. dig it back up. I You've should. still got I it. Should. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll dig it out. Um, but I so spent, you knew uh, you wanted to write. Yeah, I, th I thought I could do something like that, but I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing. I think I was just trying to get my head around the fact that I had to survive. And then other people I knew had started getting jobs. I was amazed how quick it was that people were, you know, doing proper jobs. Mm. And, I, and I just didn't know what to do. And then I thought, I'll go abroad and teach English. Classic. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly, because you could. Um, you know, I mean, there, there were jobs abroad. So I, did, I, I put myself in a, a one-month um, TEFL teaching course. Nice. Running away a little bit, maybe. Mm. And um, I got a job in very, very easily, actually. got a job in Greece. Greece, wow. Um, yeah. Um, Amazing. Very simple to get a job. And they needed something like 15 teachers. How long were you in Greece for? Um, I signed up for one year. Um, went and did a, in a, in a... I was sent to a kind of, kind of quite small town called Arta, which is in the um, west of Greece, near quite near Corfu. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a bit weird. Um, quite lonely but I, yeah. I was quite self-sufficient and I was quite good at being on my own and maybe I learnt that from my childhood mm. um, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it enormously um, yeah I'm not getting the sense of it being a nah, life-changing no, no, experience it wasn't I, I read a lot I did the teaching um, I did lots of private teaching and met some very very interesting and strange people private i taught the mayor for uh, the mayor of the city or the town nice. for, um, he was he was in truth quite right wing <laughs> but it was it was an interesting experience of, of watching how mm. the mayoral influence works and and i was teaching i taught also taught two left-wing teachers who hated him <laughs> that's amazing and that's so definitely got, a novel in that yeah, I mean that was uh, um, yeah that was that was fun, and I taught an electrician who told me all about his his experiences in the army incursions into Turkish territory because he was an electrical expert. So I got yeah, I mean I got a lot, a lot of mm. the, the private lessons were were fascinating because they mm. just wanted to you know conversation basically. Did you have good friends over there while you were there or no, not really. Um, but I'm I'm quite good in my own company. Mm. Um, did a lot of reading, but. But it was quite exciting, and and in the holidays, I did take some sort of mad trips. Um, I mean, the 
the year I was in Athens and the Christmas holidays, I thought, right, I'll get a train to Belgrade, then I'll get a train from Belgrade to Istanbul, and then I'll get a train back from Istanbul to Thessalonica, and then a bus back to... And, and I did it in two weeks or Amazing. something. And I had some very strange experiences <laughs> doing that. Very strange, indeed. Um, so, you know, those, those, those are kind of um, quite, quite sort of... Um, things I'll never forget mm. you know just doing it on my own in a place where there are no tourists at all so you so you're you were obviously on your own quite a lot yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. in those years anyway yeah so then so then you moved back to England very briefly yeah I, ca I came back to England and, and I still didn't know I still didn't know what to do mm. but then I'd met a girl called Ruth um, and she was moving to Berlin and I'd been to Berlin and Quite a cool play. David Bowie thought it was cool. <laughs> What's not to like? Iggy Pop, Iggy Pop thought it was cool. You know, it's cool enough for them. It's certainly cool enough for me. Um, and moved to Berlin and stayed in Berlin for 13 years. Wow. I <laughs> didn't know is, that you were there for that long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went through various different stages. So you made a life there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was hugely formative um, mm. because... It wasn't just living in a foreign city, it was learning the language and the culture and the history and yeah, all those all those things really. I mean, you know, it's interesting living in Greece and living in Amsterdam, but there was no sense of permanence. Mm. I didn't learn the language, you know. If you don't learn the language, then, you know, it's always... There's a barrier. Yeah, there's a barrier. You're always immersion. a bit of an outsider and, and mm. you don't... And you, you don't have any confidence in yourself. You feel like a kind of guest and you've got to, you're beholden to everyone because yeah, you don't speak course. their language, they're speaking your language. Mm. Um, Germany was very, very different. It took me, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm no linguist and it took me a good few years to, partly because I was living with an English girl. That's mm. not a great way to learn a language. No. So, um, so what did you, what did you get up to in Berlin? And it's a long time to cover, but... Well, work, work was the first one because of you know um, I had to pay rent and you know mm -hmm. like anybody else um, did a sort of series of jobs. I mean, initially it was hard because I, I couldn't speak German, um, but there were the armed forces, the American armed forces mm -hmm. and the British armed forces, and um, they employed civilian civilian people. Um, I worked for the American armed forces. The first proper job I got was working in a, in a coal store warehouse. Um, for the American services, because they wow. they um, had to import their own frozen foods, they wouldn't buy it off the local economy. So, oh. I was introduced to um, you know, huge cartons of TV dinners and things like that. Wow. Driving up, driving a forklift truck around a, a, a freezer warehouse. Wow. Um, working How with bizarre. working with an Irish guy, two Turkish guys, a West Indian. It was absolutely bizarre, but it was Berlin. You know, mm. you, you were in this little island behind this behind this wall, and you just expected the bizarre. And did, did you have a did you have a kind of solid network of people there, or was, was it quite mm. flitty? Yeah, I know I had a, a, a few people, but they were mostly English people that I that I'd met when I first got there, and I was mm. never that comfortable with that. Um, but it was, you know, but it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. We used to, I used to do quite a lot, and and just living, you know, earning a 
reasonable amount, enough to have, to have fun and pay rent and so on, with no real thought to the future. But knowing that I wasn't going to drive a forklift mm. truck around a warehouse all my life. Um, so keeping an eye out for... That's interesting. ...for something better, but without actually knowing what... Incredibly limited, because my German still wasn't good enough. Um, I mean, it was still quite rudimentary, even after... Well, I mean, I was working in this warehouse where everyone spoke English. So, of course, because you don't speak German, you're in places where people aren't speaking German. So your German doesn't get any better. Um, or true of any language. Mm. Year, year and a quarter, something like that. And then I saw an advert, an internal advert within the American forces, or the American Air Force, um, for an editor of military publications. I thought, well, I can edit military wow. publications. And I went for that and I got it straight away because um, wow. the, uh, the captain who interviewed me, she, um, she was just bowled over by the fact I was English and I had this <laughs> wonderful accent. And I had a degree in English literature, which she signed. Perfect candidate. She thought something Back in those really days, cool. all you needed was a degree in English I know, literature. I know. Those were the days. I know. I know. <laughs> she never asked whether it's a good degree, and I wasn't about to tell her. And, but I mean, you know, yeah, I was, I was, I was quite, I was all right at it. I mean, I could mm. edit. I could edit. I mean, my English was quite good. I was, and also, you know, I was working with people in the American Air Force, so the standards weren't that high. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I did that for about five years because mm. it was a busy, easy job, really. Yeah. Um, and I worked in Templehof Central Airport, which is this sort of famous Nazi built, um, sort of built in the design of an eagle, if you see it from yeah. above. Wow. Uh, it's in loads Spooky. of films. Um, you know, I, I keep seeing it, it crops up in films and old newsreel footage, and it's still it's still there. And had a had a great time. Mm. And by then, I started meeting meeting other people as much more part of Germany then and I discovered the sort of Berlin nightlife and and um, and just just liked it you know I was having a good time and but not not in the sense of any kind of career or I was just earning perfectly good money you know I got into it I was able to live in a decent flat rather than the sort of crummy ones that I'd been in for the first couple of years mm. and thought well you know this is all right. I've learned another language. I've got a job that I quite like doing that's quite easy. I've got friends. I go out quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so when did you kind of, I mean, I'm assuming that there was some kind of switch into thinking about the future. Yeah. Yeah, there was. I, or was it more gradual? A kind of series of things, I think. Um, Berlin Wall coming down was mm -hmm. definitely uh, uh, another watershed moment because... You know, I'd gone there because it was this cool city surrounded by a wall with all the spies and, you know, and it really was, you know, there was spy stuff going on and I knew people in East Berlin and um, and I had various problems every time I went to the border because my name was on the, on the list um, and I could get in, but, and, and, but I loved all that. And then suddenly there was no war anymore and, and everything had changed and, and my city that I'd gone to had been taken away from me. I'm like, I think I did know that it was a good thing. Well, I did know it was a good thing, but it didn't mean I had to like it. Because mm. um, they'd snatched my, my lovely city away from me. It had suddenly be just become another city. For the right reasons, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I'd got a proper job by then. I'd, um, I started working for Labrox, the uh, betting company, because mm -hmm. they'd, when the wall came down, they decided they could um, start infiltrating Germany 
with their betting shops and they advertised and I'd always been very interested in horse racing and um, <laughs> they advertised for um, somebody with a good knowledge of horse racing um, who's bilingual and I thought well there won't Perfect. be that many of us around. No. <laughs> I did get that job. I worked. I'm. I made sure I got the job. I didn't just stroll up and think, "Oh, I'll get this." I really did a lot of work to make because I thought this is the job I want. So that was yeah. a, a that bit was of a change a, in yeah, attitude. That was that was somewhere where I thought, "Now I'm working in an industry that I'm interested in." And you yeah. can start climbing. Yeah. Well, I I think I was just happy that I'd got a job in this, mm. and yeah, somewhere along the line, I kind of figured. I will be quite good at this because I like horse racing. And I'd kind of made some inquiries in London about commentating because things had changed in the horse racing world and they, they needed more more people commentating. And commentating is what I really wanted to do. Betting shops are quite interesting for me, if you like horse racing. Mm. But actually commentating is really about the sport, not at about the, the betting. Yeah. At the, yeah, and, and it's, it's talking. I like words. I've always been interested in kind of broadcasting and um, and so I thought right Labricks are going bust in Berlin or will do fairly soon I've got an offer of a commentating job in London and I'm in a relationship with someone that's going nowhere at all in fact it's, got, it's, it's, it's really it's, it's down the pan already <laughs> and I can really do getting away from this and there's no Berlin Wall either and it's like a perfect storm of now, because I'd never, I'd, I'd never gone to Berlin with the idea that oh, I'll stay for a few years and then I'll go back to England. I've got to be in England in mm. the end. That's where I get. I'd have been quite happy to stay in Berlin, Probably. you know, forever, um, if things had worked out in a different way. Yeah. But no, I mean that was the age of that was nineteen uh, ninety two or so. so I was thirty five, and that was another watershed moment, the perfect storm of reasons to leave Berlin, parts one, two, and three, um, and. So I moved back to London, mm -hmm. um, and then within a year I'd moved to Brighton because I had friends down here and I figured that you could commute from Brighton to London quite easily. And then other things followed that, I met Rebecca soon afterwards and then... Where moved. did you meet Rebecca? She was... I rented a room in a house with a friend up Elm Grove and there was somebody else renting a room there, a girl called Mandy, Mandy Munkham. <laughs> um, she was very funny. And she was very friendly with Rebecca. Rebecca came round, and uh, Rebecca turned up in her, in her because she was working in a casino at the time. She came, <laughs> she came in in, the, in her casino oh, casino uniform. Amazing. And I thought she's rather nice. Oh. And I pursued her. <laughs> it took a while. It went nearly a year, but you know, wore her down mm. in the end. And then obviously you had Lena and Romy. Yeah. Somewhere down that line. Yeah. So was that, you know, obviously your childhood experiences clearly continued to resonate with you. So was that, yeah, when you I had your kids, did you feel quite a conscious desire to make mm, it very different? Or Yeah, I think that, I think all the, all the childhood stuff came back a lot more. I'd probably put it all to sleep for about 15, 20 years. Mm. Um, partly having my own children, but a lot to do with Rebecca was the first person I'd had a relationship with that I just talked to um, deeply mm. about stuff and she talked a lot about her childhood I and mean, it's a big thing for her yeah. um, and I'd never really talked about my childhood before I mean I hadn't hidden it but nobody ever seemed particularly interested in, yeah. and I'm you know 
not particularly somebody who wants to, <laughs> despite what I'm doing now, talk about myself yeah. interminably. <laughs> um, I don't normally do that. Um, and we just talked about it a lot. And the combination of that and telling her my feelings about, you know, about my childhood and about how I thought it affected me. And she would say, you know, it has a, my, my attitude was, well, it hasn't really affected me. You know, I, I've, I, got, I got away with it kind of thing. Um, you know, I didn't go off the rails and I didn't become a delinquent and, you know, the, the situation was there where I could have done, but I was, I was lucky. I didn't really make a choice not to. I just, I just didn't do it. Maybe I was too scared or something. And, but she, she said, no, I mean, and she, she, you know, I've had, I've had periods of sort of depression and so on. She thinks that's definitely to do with my childhood and maybe it is, but she was always interested and made me be more interested mm. in a way. I, I couldn't have talked about, I mean, what I've been talking about for the last, you know, or what we were talking about half an hour ago. I couldn't have talked about that 25 years ago. Not yeah. because I couldn't have faced doing it. Just I, didn't know how. I didn't know how, and I'd never done it before. So in a sense, it's relatively easy now, because so many things I'm saying, I've said before to Rebecca. Mm. You know, in, in different words, in a different context, obviously. Um, so I'm much clearer in my kind of perception of, of what my childhood was and what it what it meant to me or how, how I felt about it at mm. the time, how I feel about it now. And then obviously having two young children, um, I probably somewhere at the back of my mind I was determined not to be the dad my dad had been. Mm. But I was never going to be anyway because I'm not, I'm not like similarities to him I look, look rather a lot like him which is a bit scary um, but I'm not I'm not him I was never going to be like mm. that and also you know I mean how could you be like that with Rebecca who's so hands-on and so child orientated yeah. I mean I, I learned it I think I learned an enormous amount from her I mean my, pretty much my 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 um, method of parenting was just watch her <laughs> watch nice. her and then and then do what she does yeah I'm just interested in you know I you know I expect having children to be a kind of moment where you either feel adulthood is kind of thrust upon you or you've kind of prepared for it and that is a real marker of not only being totally responsible for yourself but being responsible for other people yeah. but then it's interesting that often when I speak <clears throat> to to the adults around me there's a kind of you have to be an adult but you have no kind of formula for that because you really actively don't want to be like the adults that you had when you were mm. younger mm. so it's just a really interesting difference I feel I feel like it's less and less common you know like I, I expect to take my parents as a model for mm. how to be you know a parent and mm. a proper grown-up <laughs> mm. um, well the, the adulthood of the grown-up I mean in it, I mean, uh, all the time I was in Berlin, I was an adult. I mean, I was, you know, I was there from the age of 25 to 35-ish, 23 to 35, something like that. But, I mean, I behaved or lived in many ways like a student. I mean, mm. I worked and paid rent and so on, but, I mean, I wasn't going, well, I wasn't even studying for a degree, so I wasn't even going anywhere in that sense. But, I mean, I was enjoying myself and I was learning stuff and, and, and it's stuff that's, you know, been important to me, another language and so on and so forth. But there was definitely a flip once, because I'd never never really considered having children. 
partly because I'd never been in a relationship with somebody that I wanted to have children with. Um, and if Rebecca had said to me, I don't want to have children, I'd said, yeah, that's, you know, it's fine. It's never been a life ambition fair of dues. mine. <laughs> but fair is, yeah. Um, <laughs> but she did want to have children. So fair dues. I don't mind. You know, mm. <laughs> you know, I'm in a, you know, uh, yeah, let's give it a go. Um, I mean, I think she made it fairly clear that if I wasn't going to provide her with children, she'd find somebody who was. <laughs> I mean, she was really, you know, she really did want to have children. Yeah. And she really cared, and I really didn't. I mean, I, I, not that I don't care about children. <laughs> I didn't care whether we had children or not. I wanted, I wanted to be with her. And if we yeah. had children, fine. If we didn't, fine. Sure. Um, so, uh, so we did. Um, and I was always quite comfortable with it because I thought she'll know what to do. But did it make me feel make me feel like an adult? I mean, sometimes they seem to be external to you, yeah, almost I, like realizations of yeah external reality yeah. and you kind of have to catch up with yeah. that rather than it being a exactly a, an outpouring if I, if of I oh I'm an adult if I now. look down on myself and my life and where it was and what was going on around me I said yeah there's a there's a real there's there's an adult doing adult things holding down a holding down a job two children partner relationship and all the all the things that are still felt basically like a child really mm. <laughs> you know like a child like a young adult, but and and in many ways I still do, and and that I don't think that's uncommon. I mean, I know I'm an adult, and, and not a young adult, and not even a middle-aged adult anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm well aware of it, mm. but I don't think it's made me, and I've never really wanted it to make me feel in a different way. And I'm sure your mum and dad would would say much the same. Mm. I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I mean, what what is what is adulthood? I mean, when you're 25 or 23 or so, you're a, you're a fully fledged adult, even if, or are you not? If Legally, you're still in full yeah. full full time education, are you not a fully, or are you only really an adult if you've got children or if you? I don't know. I mean, where? That's what we're here to find out. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. But that's um, the thing, I don't think there's ever going to be an answer. There are other things which I haven't experienced yet and, and hopefully won't for a while. Um, serious illness. Serious illness of somebody close to you will make you grow up very fast. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, I say, well, I still feel like a kid and I'm still sort of, you know, waltzing around like a, you know, well... But the kid I'll, that you were grew up. Yeah, yeah, in a way, um, and could grow up a lot more. I mean, you know, if one of my children were suddenly to fall seriously ill, or Rebecca were to fall seriously or or myself, I'd grow up again very quickly, you know. Mm. Concrete answer. I mean, so, so many different, you know, people's lives are so different, and so many different things feed into who yeah. you are and at what very age you grow up. And, and I, I think I probably grew up in many ways um, more quickly than lots of my contemporaries because of my circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, I was certainly a lot more, you know, when I arrived at university, I was a lot more self-sufficient than pretty much anybody I knew. Um, but I certainly didn't feel like an adult. I mean, I felt like a kid in a sweet shop, <laughs> you know, actually much more childish than yeah. a lot of people. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So we're going to round it off with a few quickfire-ish questions okay. that I'm going to ask everybody that I mm -hmm. talk to. Um, so the first is, 
is there a song that reminds you of maybe not growing up because you sounds like you know you associate that with maybe really really early but just like maybe your young adulthood your kind of independence what a, a particular yeah. place and a particular I've got one that reminds me of uh, of the Lake District when I when we when we did go on family holidays so I'd have been five or six well I, I should be able to work it out from when the um, Hey Mr Tambourine Man because I think it must have been number one in the charts when we were in the Lake District and I, I just remember hearing it a few times I did I did follow pop music a lot when I was younger because I had two mm. older brothers so I was I you know I was very interested in pop music when I was uh, well, I remember watching Top of the Pops when I was 1965 when the Who started and people like that. So I was mm. eight. I won a competition on the radio. Did I was, you? <laughs> I, was a, I think I was a nine-year-old pop picker. I won a 40-shilling record take. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, I mean, I was brother, brother's influence. Yeah, Hey Mr. Tambourine Man would be one that I could specifically put. At a, nice. I, and that, that's, that's the first one that springs to mind. Okay. This is where listeners on Anchor will hear a section of Hamer's hey, Tambourine oh, Man I okay. because I can't pay for the copyright elsewhere. No. Um, anyone listening anywhere else will go straight into the next questions. So when is a time when you felt the luckiest in life? When have you felt really lucky? Now? Um, yeah, in, in, many, in many ways now um, because I'm relatively healthy my age um, I like the work I do um, both my children seem happy my, my partner seems happy I got friends and I haven't got stuff hanging over me that scares me or worries me particularly um, I, I mean I could have said when the children were young but I do associate that also with being fearful a bit mm. and worried and more under pressure Okay. Um, working harder, um, very concerned about them all the time because you tend to be about your children. Um, maybe when I was in Berlin I felt lucky but I wasn't really going anywhere. I was having a good time but in a quite an irresponsible mm. way so I could probably say now as, as, nice. as, much, as much as anything. You're not the first person to say that. Good, yeah. good. Um, what advice would you give to yourself at 21 and also me now at 21? From what I know now to, yeah. to, to when I was 21. So what did, what did I do when I was 21? I'm quite, I'm quite glad I did what I did when I was 21. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't jump at a career. I didn't peg myself into um, some kind of, you know, go and do an apprenticeship for a bank or something. Um, I never wanted to wear a suit, and I think that was a you know that was something I observed, <laughs> and, and I'm glad I stuck to that. I, I, I've been lucky; I've been able to stick to it. Um, yeah, don't 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 rush mm. into don't rush into something because you don't know you don't know where things might take you. So it's worth taking a job and learning learning what you can while you're there, and looking around and being open minded. Yeah, just oh, don't, don't, rush. don't 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 rush into stuff and and nice. and be sort of be prepared to keep keep looking left and right rather than straight ahead mm. because lateral thinking. Yeah, and and I think probably more so now than when I was younger because I think 
so many people jump from one thing to another. Mm. And well, that's my next question. My last question yeah. is, for want of not making this a kind of negative series, there's a lot of negative changes, as t- changes that have happened since you were this age. Mm. Um, but what's something positive that you can see that myself and other burgeoning adults can exploit and make the most of? Well, I think job security has definitely gone downhill mm-hmm. compared to, you know, 40 years ago when I was your age. Um, but the upside of that is there are so many more short-term or relatively free and easy kind of contracts work at working in gig working economy. for a while, while yeah gig economy I, I don't like the gig economy in many ways because i think it's <laughs> it's set up for companies to avoid paying taxes but yeah the gig the gig economy means that you can chop and change a bit but no i've digressed again um well no as in so actually that seems like a new thing but also something that's yeah, got a timeless I mean, quality to it it's bit i i think you, because you're not growing up alone you're or, or sorry, growing up you're not getting older alone mm. you're getting older with a whole generation of people and watching what they're doing and and following where you know you think all the people you've known from university from uh, Basvik, from hove park you know you'll hear stories about and there's sure to be somebody you know you'll think god that person's now a, a, got some booming vegan restaurant chain in London. <laughs> they were idiots. He was, he was an idiot. How has he done that? Mm. I mean, it, you know. I'm excited for that. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And yeah, but, but you might be the one the one who does. Um, it's a whole generation growing up and you're part of a whole generation and so it's a good idea to be part of it because together with your generation you're much stronger than if you're just on your own i know it feels like you're on your own but you are doing it with other people and always keep always keep your contacts because you Mm. never know that somebody you might just be able to offer somebody something or they might be able to offer you something or you might meet somebody and say god the two of us can do so much stuff together so collaboration collaborate in every sense of the word it's Right. When it work, I mean, I, I know they say never work with friends and so on, but when it works, it's the, it's the best. Mm. It really is, you know. Um, so much to it. I think I think I'm very enthusiastic about it because my job is so solo. Mm. You know, I go into a studio and I do horse racing commentaries, and it's just me and five screens, and I don't need anybody else there. I have almost no collaboration at work with other people. Mm-hmm. So. Um, when I do get to collaborate, I really enjoy it. But I, but I do also think early. there's a there's a real magic to it, you know, that mm. that they can do stuff you can, you can't, and you can do stuff that they can't, and it, and together you you know, all the parts make a whole kind of thing. Mm. Great, wow, that kind of brings it to a close. Thank you so cool. much Pleasure. for your honesty and your advice. I <laughs> really appreciate it. Good, and I'll see you soon. Yes, <laughs> bye bye.